Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. My guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Mark Podolsky, a.k.a. The Land Geek. He is on there today as I'm getting this out on the late on a Sunday night for Monday morning, uh, talking about all kinds of things land. I've been doing land now for a couple of years, getting more and more into it and thought it was very timely. I really like his delivery, like the information he has. I think he does a great job of giving you the simplicity of it. So definitely uh, check it out. You'll definitely like this. There's so many different things that you can think about with cash flow and different ways to put land together that, uh, you know, again, in, in the past, would not have really been uh, something that excited me, but over the last couple of years, as I've gotten more and more into land, uh, this was more and more timely for me as far as getting Mark on and really listening to the strategies he's doing. And uh, I think it's awesome stuff. So hopefully you will too as well. You will like the content. You will like him. You will like this episode. We talk about analyzing land, where the best places to buy them are, where the best places to sell them are, why you can use that as a long-term cash strategy, what the difference is between having good cash or good cash flow, which is more important, where's the best places to do it, and so much more, of course. As always, this is brought to you in part by Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. Go to nicknicknick.com slash links and under affiliates, check out all of our sponsors. Let them know the A-Game podcast sent you get 20% off code, num- code name A-Game when you go to Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. And check out all the other sponsors through our links, please. It really helped the show. Follow us, nicknicknick.com slash links on all social platforms. This podcast is available on YouTube and pretty much anywhere. So all the links directly there, go to nicknicknick.com slash links. Please follow us on social media. Please like the posts. Please share the posts. Please comment on the posts because it makes the guests very appreciative and it makes them want to keep coming on and bring you this awesome stuff for free. Last but certainly not least, definitely go to nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets for your free checklist on how to bring more value to your buyers as a real estate wholesaler, broker, or agent. And of course, I really want to do some real estate together. So more than ever, if you would like to do some real estate together, please text me directly, 516-540-5733. Whether you want to buy properties from me, sell properties to me, discuss partnering in some level, we have different opportunities always coming on the horizon. So give me a text message if I have not responded to some of your prior messages on social media please forgive me texting me is the best way to go a game podcast the land geek hope everybody has a great week thank you all right my guest today on the a game podcast is a real estate investor and educator he's a master of buying selling and leasing raw land for long-term passive income he's been an investor for over 20 years and has amassed over five thousand transactions he's the founder of frontier equity properties he is a twitter powerhouse the host of the Art of Passive Income podcast, generating over four and a half million downloads, the author of Dirt Rich, and of course, today's guest, the land geek himself. Give it up for Mr. Mark Podolsky. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Nick, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. Dude, I am, uh, I've been really excited to talk to you. I really, not, not to sound mean, but like sometimes I'm doing my research on students or students on, uh, on guests, and it's, it's a lot of like the same thing. And, and your stuff really had me captivated. It's just a different strategy, you know? And, and I like the way you deliver it because I've heard other people that do the strategy, but I, I give the analogy a lot that some people, they can kick my butt in jujitsu, but they can't really explain to me how they did it. I love the simplicity factor of how you deliver the pros of investing in land. So we're going to go deep into that, but I'm really excited to have you on, man. So thank you for coming on today. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. And um, this is the the real benefit of Zoom, because if I do say something wrong, I'm not going to get choked out. <laughs> yeah, these days I don't know how much I'm. I'm mostly spending my athleticism going through drive-throughs, so probably wouldn't be big <laughs> deal now. But I was telling everybody that the craziest part about COVID is nobody talks about how clothes shrunk because it was over, and all of a sudden all my clothes are smaller. It has to be something to do with the pandemic, right? It has to be absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. you uh, playing along with me on that. So it's definitely not something I did. But f- for people who are not 100% familiar with you yet, can you give a 30,000 foot view of who you are, where you came from? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if we would just rewind the tape to 2000, I was a miserable micromanaged 
45 minute commute and you know to and from uh, work back uh, investment banker. And I, I specialized in mergers and acquisitions with private equity groups. And Nick, it got so bad for me. I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I'd get the Friday blues anticipating the weekend going by really fast and having to be back at work on Monday. So my firm hires this guy and he's telling me that as a side hustle, he's buying up raw land at tax deed auctions, pennies on the dollar. He's flipping them online and he's making a 300% return on his investment. And Nick, I'm looking at companies all day long and a great company, great, has 15% EBITDA margins for free cash flow. And I'm looking at companies all day long, you know, less than, than that. I mean, you know, 10% is like average and it's just, it's just crazy. So I've got three grand saved up for car repairs. I go to New Mexico with him. I do exactly what he tells me to do. I buy 10 half acre parcels an average price of $300 each. I flip them online and they all sell for an average price of $1,200 each, 300% it worked. So I took all that money, went to another auction and this is in Arizona where I live and there's, you know, it's 2000, there's no one in the room and I'm buying up lots and acres for nothing. I sell all that land. I made over $90,000 cash. So I go to my wife. She's pregnant. I said, honey, I'm going to quit my job and become a full-time land investor. And she's like, absolutely not. So I said, okay, okay, okay. So it took about 18 months for the land investing income to exceed the investment banking income. And then I quit. I've been doing it full-time ever since. And uh, I absolutely love it. That's outstanding. So I feel like land is one of those things that people hear about, but nobody, nobody really does a deeper dive. They ask somebody about it. Somebody gives them a quick answer and they take that as, well, that's probably true. Like it's, it's X, Y, and Z and you can't get land or land is too expensive. But, you know, if you go back to the, the principles of just everything in movies for the last 50, 60 years, when they go, oh, you got any advice for me? Buy land. God's not making any more of it. And people still like bypass that. So in a world where we're talking about Bitcoin having value because of the scarcity, I'm surprised there's not more of a conversation about land because the scarcity of land, but also where we are right now with the real estate market and there being just a lack of supply. Contractors need to keep their crews busy. People still need to invest into like a, a tangible asset. And if they're not able to buy homes that are, are getting fixed up, they're building them. So I feel like lots right now are a massive opportunity to get in and buy land and sell it off to multiple different ways, but especially to builders and, uh, and developers right now. So what are your thoughts on why people might shy away from it or why they might have a misconception of investing in land? Right. I mean, it's, it's so funny that you bring that up because just last week I was, at a, uh, I was speaking at a mastermind group and the person who spoke before me had made $100 million in crypto. And then I'm like, okay, I've got to follow this guy. Like, okay, let's talk about something sexy now, raw land. And, you know, and, and, and really that's what it is. You couldn't think of a more boring niche. So think of like HGTV or the DIY network. You're not going to see a show with me called, you know, flip land or flip this land. The before picture is raw land. The after picture is raw land. I mean, it's really, really boring. And we can all sort of wrap our heads around the fact that we all need a place to live. Nobody really needs raw land. That being said, 99% of what we have in our lives, we don't really need, we want it. And there's a lust for land in this country. So, um, but I, you know, to your, to your point, like you're right, in an inflationary environment, um, land, like we're, we can't keep anything on the shelves. Like we're selling land like crazy. But most people day to day aren't thinking about it as an asset class, as a hedge against inflation. And what we'll talk about today, no one thinks about land as something we can make cash flow, uh, like a rental home. That's a really good point. I get, I get asked a lot of the time about wh what people should be focusing on. I've had so many different pe people are making money doing everything. So it's a matter of like, what, what is your specific niche and what are the pros and cons and what works for you, for your risk tolerance, for the time you have, for the money you have to invest with. But what are your thoughts right now on building up cash versus building up cash flow? I hate cash. Cash is trash. <laughs> so I, I would much rather have cash flow. Um, and, and it's not to say that you know, we, we get cash hits and we sell a piece of land and we'll get a big cash flip. And now I'm like, okay, great. Now I've got to pay taxes and I've got to do it again. So with the cash flow, I've got so many more options of what I can do with that cash flow. Um, and it really is the end of financial insecurity. So I'm really about getting you know, people out of what I call solo economic dependency, which means if you're personally not working, 
you're not making any money. So think about anyone with a W-2 job, um, freelancers, uh, you know, let's just pick on people that have solved their money problems, but not their time problems, doctors, lawyers, uh, if you're a, you know, an actor, right? Or if you're an athlete, if you're personally not in that uh, ring fighting, or you're not personally on that set acting, you're not generating any income. And so you could love it, but at some point, it's a lot of financial insecurity. So to get out of that, you would want that passive income to exceed your fixed expenses so that you have those choices in life to work when you want, where you want, and with whom you want. That's so interesting the way you phrase that because you know I had mentioned a, a lot of our listeners are UFC fighters, athletes, comedians, and stuff. I, until you really put it about how land's just boring, it's interesting to see how they obviously are chasing something that's high adrenaline, exciting, being a fighter, being a comedian, like being in front of people, getting a lot of attention. It's the sexy thing. You're in the public eye. You got all these followers on social media. And then you go, raw land. And I think a big part that I never thought of before is they get disinterested because it's the complete opposite of everything they've chased in their lives. But to your point, that's probably exactly why they need to balance it out with something safe and boring that's going to bring them predictable income and a safe return versus the the wild card that they're doing on the other side of the life. So I, I mean, the, the risky thing would be to live a dangerous, crazy life, throwing it all against the wall to fight in the UFC, and then also throwing your money into an unstable asset. So I actually love the correlation there. Yeah, no, you, you couldn't have said it better. Yeah, it's true. That's awesome, man. So when we're talking about the benefits of land, um, you know, I think another problem people have is, you know, I, I might be throwing this out there, but I, I talk to them and it's like, yeah, I want to buy land. Like, well, what do you want to do with it? Well, you know, I'll hold it for 15, 20 years. Like, well, there's nothing around there right now. Well, yeah, but later it's like, okay, but how much opportunity are you missing in the next 10 years while you're hoping the path of progression comes that way? But for the listeners here, you're not doing that strategy. You are actually making money fast and consistently, which I love. And I think completely flips the script on what people technically think of, of land as just a buy in a long-term hold before you can actually see any sort of return on it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that, that's, you know, a land banking strategy is what you just described, which is buy, hold, and then you've got that hockey stick model when development comes. So it's flat where it's actually negative cash flow, And then, you know, development comes, you're like, okay, well, Jeb's a millionaire and it just hockey sticks up. But to your point, that's really risky. And who wants to be negative cash flow for 15, 20 years? Uh, on the hope that development comes. So the way that I do it is, you know, let's let's make a cash flow really within 30 days or less. And if you want, I can, you know, walk you step by step exactly how I do it. Let's do that. I would love that. All right. So Nick, where do you live? Uh, again, it's a depends on the day, but let's say Chicago okay. or New York. Okay. Let's let's pick Chicago. It's cleaner. Okay. So <laughs> I'm, uh, it is. So it is. I'm I can't gonna, argue. It is. It. So I'm going to assume that you own five acres of raw land in Colorado. I was going to say I own nine here in Chicago. We could use that. No, no, we can't use that. Explain to you why. But you owe two hundred dollars in back taxes. So you're essentially advertising two important things. I mean, number one, you have no emotional attachment to the raw land. You're in Illinois properties in Colorado, and number two, you're distressed financially in some weird way because you even paid your property taxes, and we don't pay for things like our taxes. We don't value them in the same way. As a result, the county treasurer keeps sending you notices saying, Nick, if you don't pay your taxes, you're going to lose that property to a tax deed or tax lien investor. So all I'm going to do is look at the comparable sales on your five-acre parcel. I'm going to take the lowest comparable sale. Let's say it's $10,000. I'm going to divide by four, and that's going to get me what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. So I'm going to send you an actual offer for $2,500. Now you accept it. Why? Because for you, $2,500 is better than nothing. In reality, three to 5% of people accept my quote unquote top dollar offer. But now that you've accepted it, I have to go through due diligence. I have to confirm you still own the property. I have to confirm that back taxes are only $200. You, we have to make sure that there's no breaks in the chain of title, no liens or encumbrances, this whole big property checklist. Easy to do, we can outsource it to a team in the Philippines, they're connected to an American title company. It's $5,000 or more. It's not taking any risk. Closed traditionally through a title company, but everything checks out. And now I'm going to sell it in 30 days or less. And I have a built in best buyer. Do you know who it is? I do not. 
the neighbors, the neighbors. So I'm going to send out neighbor letters saying, hey, here's your opportunity. Protect your privacy, protect your views, know your neighbor. So oftentimes the neighbors will buy it. Now, if the neighbors pass, I'll go to my buyer's list. If the buyer's list passes, I'll go to a little website you may have heard of. It's called Craigslist, 15th most trafficked website in the United States. I'll go to one I know you've heard of called Meta, where Facebook buys sell groups in the marketplace. And then I'm going to go to the lands, landmoto.com, landsofamerica.com, landandfong.com, landflip.com, landhub.com. These are platforms where people buy and sell raw land. But the way that I'm going to sell it is really where the magic is. I'm going to make my pricing irresistible. So all I'm going to ask for is a $2,500 down payment for somebody to control this five-acre parcel that was owned by you. Now I get my money out on the down payment and then let's just make it a car payment. Let's say $297 a month and 9% interest over the next 84 months. So it's a one-time sale. I'm going to get my money out on the down payment. I could go six to 10 months out. And then I got $297 a month coming for the next 84 months. No renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents. And because I'm not dealing with a tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd-Frank, RESPA, and the SAFE Act, all this onerous real estate legislation. And then it's a simple game. Can we create enough land notes where our passive income exceeds our fixed expenses? And now we're going up on stage or we're fighting or we're doing whatever we want to do in life. So yeah, I, I love this strategy. I mean, I think that whole thing is, again, I like the simplicity of having people understand the model, but obviously I understand that there's a million little details in there. So um, backtracking on those a little bit, when we're talking about initially going in and doing that due diligence. So I, I've been investing in tax liens, tax deeds, over-the-counter type stuff. So I find a lot of it turns out to be land. Right. What kind of stuff are you looking for? So in, in a hypothetical world, and I'm sure it's case by case, but like, let's say you buy something, they have a $200 tax lien. You go, you put the offer in, they accept your offer at XYZ. And then you find that it's in a state like Florida or Arizona, and there's roll up for seven, eight, nine, 10 years of the other back taxes that are owed now that exceeds it. Do you then go back and retrade or renegotiate based on like, hey, you didn't disclose or divulge that you had four or five other years of back taxes that now outweigh, or does it really not matter? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, if the back taxes are too high, that that's the first thing I'm going to look at because then it's killing my margin and I'm passing. Absolutely. So that's a really good point. So no, I, I won't, I would pass on those deals that have, you know, five, six, seven years of, of back taxes because again, I, you know, I need to have, uh, you know, for me personally, at least a 72% yield. So I want to double my money every year or, or an ROI of 300 to a thousand percent. And if the back taxes are going to kill that, then no, to pass. So parlaying on that question, as far as the, the back taxes over the counters type stuff, processes for foreclosure processes for tax lien and deed sales. What are some criteria for where you pick as far as markets for things that yeah. you would say, this is something that makes me look into there. And these are markets that I would stay away from because of X, Y, and Z. Right. Absolutely. I mean, so let's just be honest, right? Nobody wakes up and thinks of themselves, boy, I'd like some raw land in Illinois today, <laughs> unless you live in <laughs> Illinois. So we want to focus on Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Nevada, uh, California. Let's go a little bit Northwest, Washington, Oregon, Florida. So these are the sunshine states, these are fast growing states, um, and they have an abundance of inexpensive raw land. That's not to say there aren't areas in the Midwest and pockets in the Midwest that are great. Um, but for the most part, we're gonna hit those areas that we have the biggest buyer pool. So you live in you know, New York part of the time. For you, can you imagine you're in this concrete jungle, the idea of owning 40 acres in Nevada and with no restrictions. So, and it's you know, $30,000. So for you, like, oh my gosh, this is like incredible. And it really sparks your imagination. Um, so so that, that's why. So areas I want to avoid are going to be places like Pennsylvania, Ohio, you know, big manufacturing uh, areas where you got to go to epa.gov to make sure there's no Superfund site as well. Um, so, you know, and, and this model won't work everywhere. Like, I'm not going to work this model in San Francisco, New York City, Chicago and do infill lots. If you own an infill lot in those cities, you're not selling to me at 25, 30 cents a dollar. You're getting the biggest, baddest land broker in town and you'll sell it for 125 cents on the dollar right now. That's interesting. So you're not necessarily going after some of the ones in neighborhoods that are already open. You're actually going after maybe bigger parcels 
Or like, are you going after, I guess with tax lien stuff, sometimes they're going to have a bunch of them. Do you try and say, hey, I got you on the hook now. We're having a conversation. You're actually behind on 10 other parcels of land. I, I might. Um, usually what I'll do is I, I want to get it before it goes to, you know, an auction, before it goes to, you know, kind of tax lien uh, situation. So I'm just sending out offers. Um, I'm not really looking at that tax lien list necessarily. But for the most part, I want to be in areas an hour to three hours in the nearest city. I want rural land. If I can get big chunks and subdivide it, great. If, if it's a postage stamp lot, <laughs> fine. I don't care. I mean, really, I'm making my money on the buy. And so if I can pick it up 25, 30 cents a dollar, I'll buy it. Yeah, I think it's that old cliche. Everything's a deal at the right price, right? So yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So if yeah. we go into that now, so I get questions a lot of people who go, hey, man, you're doing land stuff now. They say, hey, what's the deal with this? Because for me, it was crazy. What really got me investing in land was living in New York where there is none and then coming out to the Chicago suburbs. And I'm like, dude, there is land everywhere. And my thought was, well, I'm just going to buy it all. And then it's like, well, it doesn't all have the same value. So when people drive by and they go, hey, what's the story with all this land or the stuff you can pick up in the middle of nowhere for a dollar? What, what kind of response do you give when people come to you with those types of scenarios? Yeah, so look, I'm not the, I'm not the market, right? There are people that want that land. So I always say there's a pig for every barn. <laughs> and you know, I, like, now I've done this over 6,000 times. I've never been stuck with a piece of raw land. Um, it's just, you just never know. People have a lust for land in this country that we just don't really realize in, until you start doing this. So as long as it's priced right, and you make it easy for them to buy, they all sell. That's awesome. So when you're looking at this, as far as the acquisition side of it, obviously there's gotta be value in there. So I know you're, you're kind of taking the comps, but what, what is a little bit of the analysis part? Cause some of the ones I look at, I almost can't tell the difference. Like with houses, sometimes it's easy. Okay, this one looks very similar to this one. But when I look at the interior pictures, X, it's, it's not the same. That's why this one's 50,000 less, or this one's been on the market for X, Y, and Z, because it's going through some sort of pre-foreclosure. But with land, sometimes it appears on paper that both of them are like the same lot in the same area. And one's 25,000 and one's 13,000. And so are you, are you finding that? Is that, is that a common thing? Or do you try and look for backing up? If I see that with houses, that it's hard to comp, I go, okay, I'm not going to be in this area if I can't find any tangible comps that make logical sense. Do you steer away from those? How do you work around those? No, you, you literally just described why this, this niche is so beautiful and so wonderful um, because it's in an inefficient market. So really, comps are all over the place. Nobody really knows the value. <laughs> and, and so that's why. Um, and, and then you have no liquidity. So you can't go to a bank and get a land loan. So really, the game is we're just bringing liquidity to this inefficient market where it doesn't exist. I mean, if you really want to boil down this whole business and why it works. And when I first started doing this, I'm like, you know, these margins are literally unsustainable, especially coming from um, a private equity background and, and investment banking background and, and analyzing companies. Like, it's just not sustainable. Competition comes into a market and you're, it's just going to drive down the prices. It's going to become more efficient in time. And yet over the last 22 years that I've been doing this, these margins have remained simply because to your point it's so inefficient and even as technology has um gotten you know better and better and better it's still a very inefficient market and today you know banks don't want it so it's it's that's that's really why i mean that's why the market's so so great I mean, it's also very frustrating too because to your point the analysis is hard which is why i take the lowest comp and divide by four because if I take the median comps and divide by four, I could be overpaying. So playing devil's advocate, which I I, I know this is not the case, but I'm just going to throw it out there because it's what I hear all the time. I'm sure it's what you hear all the time. Hey guys, I'm investing in land. I'm taking the lowest comp in the area. I'm deducting 75% and I'm sending out an offer. Mark, you can't do that. Nobody's going to take that. Why would they? And you hear the obviously six thousand times they were wrong. So. The mindset part of that, I think, is so huge. Did you have that initially? And, and like, what was your initial thing that got you into land? Were you skeptical like most people when you first got in? I was super skeptical. Um, in fact, I, I actually went through the analysis like, you know, I've got three grand saved up for car repairs. 
And I'm thinking to myself, well, what's the worst case? And the worst case was I owned raw land. So I didn't have to hassle with, you know, having anything physical in the garage. And I didn't have to maintain anything. I didn't have to protect anything. So really all I had was a piece of paper and some future liability of inexpensive taxes down the road. I'm like, well, if I can't sell this property, I'll barter it, right? Maybe I'll get free haircuts for a couple of years or free dentistry. So the worst case, so when I was looking at the risk reward ratio, it wasn't so bad. But it's like, okay, it's, it's like, why, why would anybody sell me this property 25 cents a dollar? It'd be literally, if I sent you an offer for everything in your garage right now that you haven't used in years, 25 cents a dollar, would you take my offer? Yeah, absolutely. That's, a, that's the same thing. They haven't gone out to this raw land. They have no emotional attachment to it. They've made no improvements to it. And they're getting, they're paying taxes for it every year. So it just builds up, builds up. Finally, they get this offer like, all right, I'll be done with this. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate soon, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, or fixing foods, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fixing foot, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com. Go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. The best time to start is today. That's such a great answer. That garage analogy is money right there. I love that. It's going to be a clip for sure. I'll point so we know to do that. So uh, piggybacking on that, it's it's always interesting to me because whatever type of real estate I've gotten into, whether it's single family, land development, multifamily, mobile, anything I've ever gotten into, there's always those people that go, you can't do that. If it was so easy, everybody would be doing it. And then you eventually go, okay, so like how many times have you tried to buy land at that? Well, I've never done it. Okay. So like your husband, your wife, your kid? No, but I, I know a guy who knows a guy. Like if people give advice- and try and talk you in or out of a strategy when they really have no background or, or no sort of um, no credibility. Like you're, you're taking advice from somebody on cutting hair that's never given a haircut before. So to, right. to that point, I like your story because if I remember correctly, one of your friends tried to get you to invest and you were kind of the, you can't do that. You're going to go to jail. You're going to get sued. And then, but I like that you, you turned, you flipped, you didn't go away. So I think a lot of people listen to that. And then they watch somebody, somebody else go in and take that risk and do that. And that separates a lot of the people that are action takers or talk themselves out. But it's like, hey, did you really know anybody who's been through that situation? So I love that you flip-flop. But for people that are in that space, that are just scared or talking themselves out of every opportunity and every investment because of the worst case scenarios, they're going to miss out on opportunities. No, you're, you're 100% right. And you know, life is a lot, a lot like poker. Like we might get 75% of the information. And then at some point, you just got to play your, your hand as well as you can play it and let the chips fall where they may, where they may. Like we just don't know. But the, the worst thing is not to play the hand and, and just fold and, and let life kick you around. So, you know, you, you've got you to gotta play something. It doesn't have to be raw land investment, but you, you can't just sit on the sidelines and uh, watch your money literally lose, like you're losing money right now sitting in cash, 10% a year in an inflationary environment. You have to do something unless, of course, you think, you know, we're going to be hitting a, a really hard recession, but which is possible, but still. But, but if you, you know, like, let's just say like the last five years, you just sat on the sidelines, you would have missed out on tremendous opportunities. Yep, exactly. I love that, man. So now as far as you, you, you buy the land, you get it on a contract, now you, you do your due diligence, which for people listening, there's a whole side of that. It's, so make sure you're diligent with everything you buy, but now you're looking to sell it. So I'm interested for your, your dispositions process now. I know you said you start with the neighbor and then you go to some of these other places. Do you necessarily care if it's going to a builder? Are you doing things like, I only want to buy 0.25 or bigger because that's what a builder blot is in this area? Or again, does it really not matter? Are you looking for right-of-way issues? Like how much diligence are you doing before you say, okay, this is, a, are there deal killers you're looking at before you close on it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest deal killer for me is the back taxes. And then from there, any lien or encumbrance I can cure, even an IRS lien, I can cure 90 days or less. So that's not going to be a deal killer for me. I think what the neighbors might be doing to be a deal killer. So if there's a dilapidated car out there or a you know, dilapidated home, the neighbors are dumping, there's some kind of potential environmental issue, then I'll pass. Um, otherwise, for the most part, like uh, I've, you know, I've learned the hard way not to be a land snob just because I don't think it looks good doesn't mean someone else would love it. And, um, you know, you've heard me talk about that story. Like, uh, like my buddy bought land in what I thought looked like Chernobyl <laughs> and he, and he made a hundred grand on it. And like, who's going to buy this? They're not going to, they're not going to like this. You're going to get refunds. You're going to get lawsuits. He sold out of, of all of it. No refunds, no lawsuits. I could have split that deal with him and made $50,000. So it was a $50,000, you know, land snob mistake, which I've learned from. I, I love that, man. Sometimes you have to miss an opportunity, but I like that at some point it's like, hey, I missed that one. I'm not going to miss the next one. Whereas people just keep sitting on the sidelines. It's a it's a sad thing. So, you know, now as far as the the selling of this, so let's say, I guess, hypothetically, your strategy would be whatever cash you are into that for out of pocket, you're looking to basically get that as a down payment. So you're you're just free and clear of anything, or are you sometimes adding some more cash on top of it before you set the terms for the for the payments? Yeah, I mean, as far as for the, for the payments, yeah, I want to get my money out on the down payment uh, most of the time. Now, that being said, I might advertise $2,500 down, $297 a month. But when we get on the phone with somebody, we'll ask them, how much do you want to put down? And they'll say, well, can I put $5,000 down? I'm like, sure. We'll, we'll lower your interest rate. No problem. So absolutely, which just you know jumps our yield up to you know, amazing. So is your strategy to hold those for long-term when you're making them 10, 15, 20, 30 years? Are you putting balloons on those? Are you selling them off? No, it just depends on the market and uh, the total value of the property. So something like a $30,000 or $40,000, $50,000 piece of property, $100,000 piece of property is going to have a longer term than something that might be $8,000 that I might have paid you know, $1,500 for. So it, it just depends. It's long as, as long as the, the, when we amortize it over time and it looks like a car payment, think Honda, Civic, Camry, we're, we're right in that sweet spot with, a, with our biggest buyer pool. That makes a lot of sense because people, it's interesting, you know, the, the amount of stuff I get, no matter how good or bad the property is, somebody's always willing to buy it if I hold some sort of terms. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's a great strategy there. So for people who don't understand the process of notes, what you're doing is really what the banks are doing. People don't understand, like you get along with Chase, you're not paying Chase for 30 years. They're literally taking that note, they're having a season for X, Y, and Z, and then they're selling it off on a secondary market. Is that something that's happening in your business? Do people call you? Because like I, I get calls from people that they're like, hey, you own X, Y, and Z, would you be interested in selling it? But then you look at the value of what that note is. And I think that's probably the thing that people don't understand that are thinking short term of, well, I would want that 5,000. Not really, because if you look at what you're making on 9% over 10 or 15 years, on a, you know, and, and that compounds and adds up to a way bigger price point. So can you talk a little bit about that for people who aren't familiar with why a longer term note actually might make you more money? Right. So a longer term note, because of time value of money, you're, you're, you, know, what, you can make a 1,000 to 1,200% return on your investment. But if you're, let, let's say that you know, Nick has a great, land deal for me and I'm short on cash, but I've got a note portfolio of a million dollars and I could go then to an investor and say, here, I'll, I'll sell you half my note portfolio for a half million dollars. Well, I've already made my return and now I've got my half million dollars to put into this other deal. So I've, I've got full you know, liquidity of options. I don't have to go to a bank. Um, I, for me personally, because I've been doing it so long, I'm actually a net buyer of notes, not a seller. So uh, I actually like buying the land notes because for me, the worst case scenario is they default, I get the land and now I can resell it, make 300 to 1,000%. That's the worst case. Um, the best case is they just keep paying on their note and I'm making you know, a tremendous yield. Again, you know, I want to make 72% on that note. That's outstanding, man. I love that. 
when you're when you're looking at these, does it matter to you at all what the the zoning is? Like, hey, it's agricultural, it's X, Y, and Z. It's you know, it's it's, it's industrial. Does, are you only strictly going after vacant residential land? I want vacant residential land. That's not to say that I wouldn't pass on something that's agricultural or commercial, uh, but typically that's that's going to be our sweet spot. Again, if I can buy it twenty five three cents a dollar, I'll buy it, and I can go through the rezoning if I need to. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, it's Costco, you know, they're buying all this stuff. They don't, everybody's going to buy it, but somebody's looking for something. And if you can get it, even if you sell it at 50 cents on the dollar, you know, like, or, or they buy it at 25% and then sell it at 50%, they're still safe. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a pretty solid investment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's easy. There's nothing to uh, maintain. Like, you know, Ted Turner says, buy land. It's the only thing that lasts. Yeah. yeah. So what, what is the process for how long it takes for you to generally close on these, go through due diligence, and then what's the dispo process of how long it generally takes you to get paid on that once you started advertising for buyers? Right. So, you know, really, if you're listening to this, I don't want you to build another job for yourself. So we want to make this a business. So for me, you know, we've got this 90% automated with software, inexpensive virtual assistants, and software on the back end. So all we're going to do then is, is push it into our, our team. And the team can do due diligence in about a day. Again, software is going to really help them with that. And so really what I'm looking at all day is, is numbers. And I say, you know, I, pr- I probably work maybe 30, 30 minutes a week in <laughs> the investment business now, just, just looking, you know, at, at the numbers and saying, you know, how many deals are out, how many deals are pending, how many deals will be closed. And then just, you know, going on a long walk and, you know, thinking about, hey, what if we did this and now I'm ruining someone's day because everything's <laughs> working and I just broke something that was working. But otherwise, um, th- that's really what, what you want to do uh, as far as sort of the, the three levers of scaling. So you want to use other people's time, um, software and automation and other people's money to really grow this. But, you know, for me personally, what I'm, what I'm looking at is, is the, the parameters we're setting is, uh, you know, simply when we're doing our due diligence, if it has these things, then it's an easy pass. And if it, you know, getting the back taxes are too high, for example, um, we're not going to close on a probate deal because it's just, you know, deals are like the bus. There's no one, another one down the pike. So why am I going to deal with the attorney and the headaches and the time? So, you know, those deals we might pass on. But otherwise, pretty much everything else, 25, 30 cents in the dollar, we're gone. Awesome. So touching on that, you mentioned treating this like a business, which I think is one of the biggest things that I wish I understood earlier in my investment career is it's not about buying and selling houses. It's about having good business practices. And I I think that's a huge reason people don't understand when businesses go broke all the time, they lose money, they be bankrupt even when they're making cash because they don't understand how to have a good business. That's why a lot of them fail. And I think when people get into real estate and they fail, it's not the real estate side. It's because they don't understand the practices of good business, which is why a lot of businesses fail. So for you doing things like, like looking at KPIs and putting systems and standard operating procedures in place, how did you learn the business side of that? And what kind of KPIs do you track? So for, for the first five years, I was doing everything myself and I was doing really well. And so um, I have a mentor, his name's Ori. And Ori had sold this company uh, for over $300 million to Experian. And uh, so in his, his mentor was like a billionaire. So this guy's really like a genius. And we're going to coffee and I'm kind of bragging to Ori, like how well <laughs> I'm doing. And, he's, and, I, and somehow I'm like, you know, I, say, I made some kind of, you know, snarky comment about being an entrepreneur. He's like, stop, you're insulting me. He's like, don't call yourself an entrepreneur. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, he's like, look, if you die tomorrow, what happens to your so-called business? I'm like, oh, that's a good point. He's like, you just built yourself a better job than what you had before. So then he started showing me step-by-step how to get myself out of that business and, and really growing it and scaling it. Because to that point, I didn't really have, I just liked that I was making money and having fun and kind of making my own schedule compared to like the investment banking job and, and didn't have like this, you know, sense of, oh, this, this is what business looks like. And so he really helped with that. And then as far as the, the KPIs, well, 
it's it's going to be how many and we want to do a deal a day essentially we want to buy a deal sell a deal that's our big kpi essentially awesome so one more weird question for you so you said you kind of open anything as long as you get it at a discount so i have to open up the question for what if you could get a prime piece of land at 25 cents on the dollar in the heart of the hottest location in the metaverse? Okay, so the metaverse is a really good question. And the, the problem I have with the metaverse as of now is that there's not one metaverse. And so when you have several metaverses, so let's just say, you know, we've got planet Earth, right? But if I could buy land on all the other planets and those planets keeps expanding, like the universe keeps expanding, well, where's the scarcity? So I get the, the, the fact that people are speculating in the metaverse on these, these you know, pieces of, of land, like land, land central, but really it's a speculate, speculative play. And I don't want to speculate. Like we discussed it. Like I want to make money on the buy and I know I'm making money on the buy as an investor, not a speculator. So for me right now, I can't get my head around the fact that this is the, there's could be many metaverses. Somebody could just, you know, build right next to me tomorrow, something completely better, newer. And now my, my metaversal land's worth nothing and uh, I was speculating. Now, if we could get to a point where there's like one standard metaverse, I'd be all in on that, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting um, time that we're, we're living in with, uh, you know, so much rapid change. And I, I think that, you know, that like that book, Ready Player One, it, it's not too far off. It really isn't. But will we have just one major playground that we're playing in i don't know it's pretty what crazy. do you think it really is a crazy uh, time. you know it's i hesitate to go into anything like that you know real estate is a tried true thing i'm sure our metaverse thing our crypto thing over you know 50 100 there's probably always been a thing for that generation or for that time in the world but how many of them stuck around you know not that you can't make money on them but you know i i look at what's the thing that's tried and true no matter what types of innovations have come around land and real estate still have held up in their value and even when they've come down a little right. bit which we've seen multiple times it's very forgiving even if you bought i, I make the joke like you bought a cave two hundred thousand years ago it's worth more today than it ever has been in the history of the world pretty much across the board right now across the country even properties that were were crap when the market tanked last time if you just weathered that storm you could probably have sold that or rented that out or refinance that and made it through the pandemic without even having any income from your job. So I feel like those other things haven't been around long enough for me to do them. So having said that, yes, I do invest them a little bit, but I, I throw money into it that I just assume is gone. I'm not yeah, like yeah. putting too much into it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, yeah, I've got a, a MetaMask wallet and I, you know, I'll play with it, uh, this, like, exactly. Like it's funny money. Yeah, and yeah. If I lose, if I lose it all, then great. But like, as far as like from a business standpoint, uh, I don't want to speculate, for sure. I love that for sure. So, uh, <laughs> switching gears a little bit. So, I I know you have LG Pass, you have Geek Pay, you have um, all, all your website coaching, you have uh, you have your book, you have your podcast, you also have, I believe, a free course for the listeners of this of this class. So, talk about the ways that you help people who are looking to jump in that maybe don't have the confidence to do it themselves, or they want to connect with you and get a little bit more info. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if they go to the landgeek.com forward slash quick deals, I think the best way to learn anything is by doing it. And so that's a free course and see if this model even resonates with you. Again, I want to be the person that helps you get out of social economic dependency and eliminate that big bucket of stress in our lives that we call money. And so for me, that's that's been the most gratifying thing to do professionally. And so I have lots of resources uh, to help you get there. And depending on if you have more money than time, then this is a great avenue to go. But if you have more time than money, we have free and very inexpensive ways to help you uh, go that, that route as well. 
That is awesome. And for anybody listening, all the links for you, for your, for all the stuff you're talking about, is going to be in the show notes. So you can definitely just point and click when this episode comes out. Um, I, I love this, man. This has been great. One of the final things I like to do is called a victory lap and kind of hit you with some, some last minute questions before we let you go. Okay. Fantastic. All right. One of the first questions, what is a book you would recommend right now? 4,000 weeks, Oliver Berkman. Have you read that book? No, I never even heard of it. That's the first time anybody's mentioned it. Oh my gosh. So it's tremendous book. Uh, it's it's uh, productivity for mere mortals. Uh, so I used to be obsessed with like time. And this just was like the antidote to all that anxiety about using my time effectively. That's awesome. I'm going to put that on my list today as soon as we get off here. Um, what is one of your favorite quotes? If you'll do for the next three to five years, what other people won't do, you'll be able to do for the rest of your life what other people can't do. Zig Ziglar. It's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie. That one always still holds up. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Have you had any opportunities or people trying to now pay you for the land you're selling with crypto? Um, I have not had a lot of offers on with, with crypto uh, on my land. That being said, I might take it. Somebody <laughs> offered it. I might take it. That's awesome. So for your strategy now, I, I, I think following knowing a little bit about where your head's at with your business is probably know the answer to this. But now that you have all this cash flow coming in, you have all these lots, you've done all these transactions, are you taking any of these cherry-picked lots and looking into subdividing them, annexing them in, rezoning them, potentially building on them, JVing with builders on them? Are you doing any kind of advanced strategy for longer plays and maybe bigger checks? Nope. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm dirt poor. I just want the dirt. So, you know, 80% of developers go under and uh, I guess I'm just too risk averse. It's, it is. And again, that's really sexy. I don't want to be the guy at the party, you know, with a sexy strategy. I want to be the boring guy. Yeah, no, I like that. Boring is safe. You know, it's not always those things in I think that's why there's a good diversification there. Like we were talking about with the fighting and the investing and then the crypto and the metaverse, it all kind of plays out a little bit there. So um, one of the final questions is, I know you had an initial conversation with your wife and she said, no, 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 no. But I do hear that a lot, that people will be interested in in investing with me in a multifamily. They want to buy a property or they want to sign up for some sort of mentoring. And then they go, well, my wife or my husband, like they're not supportive. They wouldn't let me. To me, I would have rather had somebody come with almost no money, but having the support of their spouse or business partners than have a bunch of money and have to get that red light at home. For you that you've been in that situation, what would be some advice to get around that if we have people listening that want to start investing like this, but their spouse or their business partner is really against it? Yeah. So I think it's just about education. And I've seen this happen where we'll do like a live event for two and a half days. And on day one in the morning, the spouse is sitting there like the like husband brings wife to the event and she's sitting there cross on like like shooting daggers at me and by the end of the first day you know she's loosened up and by the second day she's like oh we're doing this and it, it's because it's just education they just don't understand it at the same level and they need to get on board and um you know there's so many times you hear so many stories where oh he did this or she did this and they have a bad track record and this is just that other thing now and so you just have to educate them uh about how this is different and they need to hear not you know from somebody else in the room that's been doing it and has been doing well with it and like we're in the same exact position so it's just having that empathy for their situation they're not wrong you know no one's crazy it's just based on their prior experience so you just need to give them some new information so they can make a full you know, fully educated decision. And if they say, no, this still isn't for us, then yeah, of course, I agree with you. Don't do it. I think that that's a very valid point is a lot of the times when you get those conversations, it's like you said earlier, you're only getting half the information. It's like, well, he didn't tell you that he's already signed up for 50 things and he's never even opened them. And, you know, like we have a new gym, his gym shoes still are out of the box. He's never ran a mile, you know, so. Right, right. Stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, exactly. So why would this be different? Yeah. And I think that that's where that comes in. Like you were just saying is for people in those types of situations, when I try and like rationalize, like, where is the hesitation? It's all right. If we're in this situation where you want to invest in some land, 
or you want somebody like you to help them invest in some land, it's either they don't have the confidence in themselves, they don't have the confidence in the asset, or they don't have a confidence in the mentor. So it's like, how do you, like you said, you're getting the credibility by having them come there and hear you. And then you're giving them the credibility and confidence in themselves by teaching them and walking through those steps of here's what would happen. Here's all the things you're not thinking about. So I think what you just said is, is really the essence of it is you have to get them to listen to it from someone else so they can really ask their questions to a neutral party and somebody that has the experience and give an honest answer on the pros and cons. And I think you're a great example of it too, of you don't sugarcoat or give some crazy unrealistic expectation of what this is. You seem very normal and approachable and logical. And I think that that's another problem is people get into any asset and they go, well, I'm going to start buying land. I'm going to live in Hawaii in 30 days. I'm going to be rich. That's not really how it's going to happen. Oh yeah. No. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, I kind of do the opposite. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you know, I, I always joke, like you'll never see me, um, you know, doing my marketing like on a beach and, and, you know, having that sort of subliminal message, if you invest in raw land, this will be your beautiful life, right? Like, no, I, I don't think there's anything external that's really going to make you happy. That's kind of an internal game. Uh, but I do think that once you get out of social economic dependency, you have that time and that freedom and you have oceans of energy to move up Maslow's hierarchy of needs into self-actualization and really figure out what does you know, make you the most happy? What is your highest purpose in life? But so many people are chasing, chasing, chasing these, these shiny objects. They don't have time. They're exhausted um, and, and don't have that, that mental bandwidth to, to really figure it out. That's such a great place to end on. I love the way you wrap that up in a nice little bow over there. This has been absolutely awesome. Again, for people who have not been able to write the stuff down, just check the show notes. But as far as like social media, what are some ways people can connect with you aside from the website that you gave for the uh, for the free course? Yeah, so I, I would just say the best place to go is thelandgeek.com. Thelandgeek.com, start there. Perfect. Well, you, sir, bring your A-game to everything you do, and this was no different. You absolutely brought your A-game to this interview, and I very much appreciate it. I was really looking forward to talking to you, and it did not disappoint. Any final thoughts before we let you go about your day? Yeah, um, I, I would say that... Uh, you know, you, you want to get to the point where in life where you transcend money and uh, you, you, you kind of do the things that money can't buy. Uh, a fit body, calm mind, a house full of love. I love that quote. Oh, awesome stuff. Well, thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate it. Mark Bedelsky, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day. Thank you. You so much, it be.